pretend that our family has a reality show and you have viewers from all over the world that are watching your performance because that's what it is. It's, it's a reality show, so you're not really performing, but are, is the audience going to be cheering for you or are they going to be like, I hate that character. She's always freaking like bitchy or moody or something like you have to look at your life like from a contribution standpoint. If other people were watching, this is how you create self-awareness. If other people were watching, if you were observing your behavior, would you be proud about this? Right. And that was a conversation we had regularly because I was trying to get her to understand that self-awareness and emotional regulation is important. And we need to talk about that. Do you always need to cry? Do you always need to pout? Is this warranted? Would an audience of viewers say, she has every right to be sad about that? What is it? If, it, if it's something that big, let's talk about it. Welcome to the Push Podcast. Why push? Because a nudge is just too friendly. I'm Janelle. And I'm Eddie. And we're the Copelands. We are entrepreneurs, parents, business and life coaches. Lifelong learners and so much more. On this podcast, we share some of our best and worst experiences. <laughs> From raising kids to building businesses or having a career you always dreamt of, we tackle it all. And all the funny moments in between. Look, life can be a challenge and sometimes you just need the right friends to help you push through. Pushing you to the right mindset and perspective that shifts life in your favor. So if you're like us and you're always looking to grow, laugh, and dream big, this is the place for you. So get ready to be pushed. Hey guys, welcome back to the Push Podcast. I'm Janelle Copeland. Hello, hello, hello. How's it going? It's going well. well good, good. I'm glad you're doing well. Well, thank you. <laughs> We've been together all day long. <laughs> just checking in on you, you know? Yeah. You know, they say sometimes people just need to say, how are you doing? No, I'm doing well. How are you? Have you ever responded with, to someone when they ask you that and they say, thank, like, thank you for asking. No one has asked me that today. No. Is, no? Never. You and Jordan were doing this thing earlier, though, when we were talking to her on the phone, like never, never ever, I. never have I ever said, yeah, what so, did you say? So we played this game. So never have I ever said, um, God, you know, we won't be able to make it to the dinner out with you guys because we have to go to uh, Golden Corral. What? <laughs> we won't be able to make it to dinner yeah, with like, you? Like you, you make some, an excuse to not be able to go somewhere because you're going into this wonderful restaurant called Golden Corral. Like never have I ever said anything about. Oh, like uh, you're just saying you're just saying anything about Golden right. So, the, so okay. to give the context to the, okay. audience, to the audience is that um, never have I ever said is a game you play. Like you use phrases or events or situations or places that are just like you would never go to, and so or you have never said before, right? Mm -hmm. And so we take those types of you know comments or places and we say never have i ever said like oh well, my god golden corral was so good last night right never have i ever said that i think <laughs> that it's a different kind of game i think never have i ever like said that is like an old saying that you've just been yeah, dying you, it, and it, waiting it, it to could say. be that it, it is that too it's mm -hmm. not just one thing right mm -hmm. uh, it's all those things so it's like uh, what was one the of pot the... that called the kettle black, right. like stuff like that? I've never yeah. said that ever. You don't? Yeah. No, I've never said that. Like never my, have I never yeah, have ever said, said um, you know, it's your bed. You got to lay in it. Yeah. Yeah. I've never said that. Well, Jordan had like freaking five of them that she just pulled out of her back pocket. Yeah. She was like, never have I ever said. And she said, you know, well, right. you made your bed. Now you got to lay, lay in it. it. Yeah. yeah. And she just pulled him from nowhere. Right. I don't she even good know at how. It. Yeah. yeah. Like never have I ever said, you know. Uh, you can do it, but it's your funeral. <laughs> what? Right. Is that a thing? That is a, fu a thing. I've never heard that. Like something you're going to do is going to lead to your demise. Huh. Have you ever said, well, the early bird catches the worm? Never have I ever said I've that. I've said that. Yeah. <laughs> I've definitely said that. Early bird catches the worm? Yeah. What about carp DM? Like carp, seize the day. Carp. Carped, carpe diem or whatever. Carpe diem. <laughs> uh, no, I've never said that, but I, I, I don't think I've ever said. Never have I ever said. Is seize that a the tattoo day. you have on you? Seize the day. No, the carpe diem or however the hell you say it in. <laughs> no, I do not have that. Okay. No, I think that's a, is that that's Latin, right? Carpe diem. Uh, yeah, carpe diem. Something like that. Never have you ever said curiosity killed the cat. I don't think I've ever said that either. Have you said great minds think alike? I probably have said that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, what about blood is thicker than water? Never have said that. Yeah, my family has said that. My dad's family. 
Blood is thicker than water for sure. Um, what about? I mean, factually, it is thicker, but it doesn't yeah. necessarily mean anything because some people got some shisty family members. I definitely have said, um, like, don't cut your nose off to spite your face. Mm-hmm. That's one. Yeah, that's in my repertoire. Okay, that's what a- is in your repertoire that I use often? That you have said. Um, you've a, got some good one-liners like that. You're just like, what? You've been waiting your whole life to use that. <laughs> I can't think of any right now, but you definitely have said yeah. some things that after you've said it, you've even said, I've been waiting my whole life to say that. Yeah. Yeah. Just so, like keep them, keep them going. Yeah. I can't think of any right now, but it's a fun game, you know? So you think about any of the old sayings that you just have never participated in, you know, you just never do it. So, um, early bird catches the worm. Why would you say that? You say a lot of dumb things that I want to say we've done this in like the, maybe the first 10 podcasts. Like we did a whole thing of Eddieisms, like things that you were just dying to say that nobody ever says. Right. And now you're saying like, this is a fun game. Never have I ever. No, it is a fun game, but I, I'm just saying you have said early bird catches the worm. Mm -hmm. Like. I mean, I, I don't say that all the time, but <laughs> were you early for something one time and you got like, you've, I want to say Drea said it or something when we worked out at 5am early bird catches the worm. Like I could see her saying that. Yeah. I think that doesn't even make any sense. Yeah. I don't know. Oh my God. What's another one. Let's see. Um, that's a wrap. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's pretty common. Yeah. That's pretty common. Maybe this one's about movies. I don't know. Anyways. Um, 10 famous phrases that don't mean what you think they mean. Let's see. What, what does this one say? This one says, yeah, early bird catches the worm. Uh, winning isn't everything. Yes, it is. Uh, <laughs> I, okay, never have I ever said winning isn't everything. No, because you think that winning, winning is, is everything. Winning is did we say everything. curiosity killed the cat? Yeah, I think we, we did said that. say that. Never have I ever said that before. Do, do you ever say, well, great minds, great, great minds think alike? Yeah, you asked that already, yeah. Did I say that? Yeah, you did. Okay, well, no more on this website then. <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay um, kind of taking a pivot, I uh, thought that it would be fun to kind of chat about what things as we wrap up the year. I can't believe 2023 is almost over. Right. But like, what are you listening to? What do you love right now? What are you into? Because mm-hmm. we have a lot of extra time. I wouldn't say extra spare time, but we've got a lot of time now. Um, that we're not like this big, huge family, like constantly listening to the kids and, you know, doing all the stuff. So we're into golf. Yep. Um, what are you listening to or consuming or reading anything cool right now? Yeah. So, um, even though the push podcast is the greatest podcast of all time, um, (laughs) and you know, I, 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 I obviously, you know, I don't sit there and listen to us. So I love listen to the All In podcast. I've been listening to that podcast for I feel like it's a few years now. For those that missed it, Eddie's accent, the All In podcast. You just said it really fast. So oh, the All In podcast. And why do you go All In on the All In all podcast? In pod- so it's a um, it's a couple of uh, um, venture capitalists and, uh, and uh, investors that have this podcast, and they basically talk about everything under the sun when it comes to politics, economics, um, the investment world. Um, and so and kind of anything that has to do with, you know, United States and the world events. Mm-hmm. And then they, they kind of tie it into how it impacts the world economically and all those kind of things. So uh, I find it extremely interesting. Why do you like the hosts? Because the, the hosts of the, the podcast, they all have different um, political uh, affiliations. Is there four or five of them? Um, there are four of them. Mm-hmm. And they, um, they, you know, it's really great to hear an objective uh, perspective on anything that's going on. And so they all have, um, you know, Republican candidates that are running for president. They'll have Democratic candidates that are running for president. And then not only do they have them on the podcast, but they'll do fundraisers for them, right? And so I find that to be really interesting that someone that says, hey, I am a Democrat would actually do a fundraiser for someone that is a Republican. Mm-hmm. Because... Their thought process, which I thoroughly agree with, it's not the political party that um, you should be thinking about. It's it's the politics. It's mm-hmm. the, it's the things that they're trying to um, 
you know, um, bring to the table when it comes to a, you know, a political party or to a presidential candidate. So well, if one of them is Democrat, why would they be doing a fundraiser for a Republican candidate? It, maybe because you just, they, maybe uh, you're independent and yeah, you're well, more independent than you think. Well, I think because the ideas, um, the basis of the Democrat, they like they'll say that I have been a Democrat, like even Elon Musk, for example, mm-hmm. was been, has said that he's been a registered Democrat for all of his, his life until this time now, there are certain things that he just is not happy with, mm-hmm. right? And so why continue to go down that path? You know, when you have it, a, a, an actual affiliation to a particular party, you voting down party lines without hearing the issues to me is irresponsible, right? Right. So, so it's a political podcast. It's it's a it's a financial podcast, political podcast. Like it has all those mm-hmm. things uh, kind of mixed into it. I find it extremely um, interesting and intellectually. And they're uh, very long, you guys. Um, no, they're about an hour and a half. That's very long to me to sit I mean, there you to think listen Joe to Joe Rogan's it. three hours. Yeah, I've never, never have I ever listened to a Joe Rogan podcast though. Uh, like, like I don't want to do anything. Lex that's Freeman three hours. is like two and a half hours. Like yeah. long form podcasts are pretty in. So I listen to Lex Freeman. I listen to um, the All In podcast. I am reading um, a book called The Capitalistic Manifest Capitalist Manifesto, mm-hmm. um, which I find really interesting as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're on opposite ends of the spectrum right now. <laughs> like it doesn't get any more opposite. So you're like listening to all this political stuff, which we do have lots of conversations about. Right. And I actually do enjoy the all in podcast, but you're like a regular listener. Right. Um, and I'm like, oh, I'll scroll through, listen to some of the stuff. And I, I do find it entertaining and very I mean, educational, informative. Yeah. yeah. I do think it's great. But if you want some entertainment, that's not where I would go. <laughs> uh, um, I have a lot of time because I'm home alone by myself. So if I'm like cleaning the house up or doing some stuff around the house, I really love listening to audiobooks. Yeah. And so right now, which never have I ever listened to as many memoirs as I have. But for some reason, I'm just on one when it comes to the memoirs. So just to kind of give you an idea, like I talked a few episodes about the Matthew Perry uh, memoir, which was really, really good. Uh, That was about like drugs and addiction. And I just learned a lot. And I thought that was really cool. Um, Then from there, so weird, it recommended the 50 Cent book hustle harder hustle smarter yeah i'm not a huge fan of 50 cent i'm like ah well i don't know what is this going to be about but i downloaded it immediately because it had like 16,000 five-star reviews and i was like i just want to know what people thought was so great about this i will say it's one of the best business and life books that i've listened to Mm. and i'm not a huge fan but if you know anything about like rap hip-hop like you know, just music, pop culture, like he names a lot of people and uses a lot of relatable examples that I think tie in some really great lessons. And then throughout the book, he talks about a lot of unexpected mentors, like don't expect your mentors to look like you. He's like, just because I'm a brother from the hood, that doesn't mean those are the only people you can learn from. And so I just thought like, wow, lots of people need to hear this. And so I sent it to like my brother-in-law Mitchell. (laughs) He was like, I love that. What else can you send me? So that one was really good. Um, I really then I went from there to the Paris Hilton uh, memoir. I'm going to say I don't know anything really about Paris Hilton at all. Yeah. Like I've never been a huge fan. I never watched her reality show. Um, but you she had know, a reality show. She had a reality show with Nicole Richie. I and I got to tell you, I was blown away in the second chapter because when she was 15, her parents sent her off to. It wasn't a boarding school, but it was like a camp for troubled teens of rich kids. And they literally beat her and physically, mentally like assaulted her for years. And so like the trauma that comes with that is like I I was blown away that she went through something like this for years. Never spoke about it, you know. And then I think what I was so like excited but shocked and enthralled with was the fact that she was still able to see that her parents sent her there out of desperation and out of love Mm. and even though it caused all this emotional trauma for her throughout the book she often says it's still difficult for me to talk with my parents about this 
um, about this subject and all of the pain that comes along with it for me. But I also know that they did it from a place of desperation and love. And so I can't blame it on them. They didn't know what was going on. Right. Right. And so that was just like it blew me away. I sent it to my sister. And um, yeah, that was crazy. Can I just say, like, think about that. Like you go through this crazy experience. I mean, you you were giving me like highlight summaries about Mm -hmm. this. And I was thinking to myself, like, I don't know if our kids would have ever forgiven no. us for, they you know, would not. and these, and this is, I guess this is not just her st- story from a standpoint of these facilities, but they basically kidnap you and take you. They came at four o'clock in the morning, three or four o'clock in the morning. She was sound asleep in her home. And literally the lights flew on and then they grabbed her by her ankle, pulled her out of her bed, basically put something over her head, kidnapped her. Like, I mean, literally, like she thought she was being stolen from her room and they took her to the LAX airport and or to the airport. Um, and she was like, I'm not like, this is a kidnapping. And they showed her your parents have given us like power of attorney. We're your legal guardians. They are the ones that arrange this because you're making bad decisions. And so, you know, she had to go to this facility. So anyways, I'm telling Jasmine, speaking of our children, I'm telling Jasmine about it. Who's our 22 year old. And she says, oh my God, one of my coworkers like went through something like that. Yeah. They kidnap you in the middle of the night. And I was flabbergasted I was like wait you know someone that has done this and she said yeah you know a friend a co-worker like said that her parents did it I was like how is she with her parents they speak but haven't complete she hasn't completely like forgiven Paris on the other hand is like as a mother looking to see like you know what I was putting my parents through like mind you she wasn't doing drugs she wasn't doing anything crazy but she was sneaking out like and she's like would I let my 15 year old do what they wanted absolutely not I know that now as a mother and so she has forgiveness in her heart because she knows that after all this time after everything she went through they literally thought they were trying to save her life they thought she was on a destructive path and this was the only thing that they could see that would help her get on the right path. Yeah, and there's a there's many different versions of of this that I get and understand, and then there's also a part where I go, oh, I don't actually get it. But the parts I do understand is like when you think about celebrities or uh, I would say wealthy children, like the surrounding their you know their particular friend group or surroundings they they have access to a lot mm-hmm. right and they they can do things that can be really detrimental to their you know their their future whether it be exotic drug use right mm-hmm. you know all kinds of things like that that lead you down a path of no return mm-hmm. or and so i can understand how their parents just are like you know we're a wealthy family um, one, she can damage the name of the Hilton brand. Mm-hmm. Um, two, she can get to a place where there's no return. I would rather her go through this than to go through rehab for the rest of her life, mm-hmm. right? So it, maybe that's the thought process. But then on the other hand, it's like, like there's a certain level to me, because uh, you said that she she had um, ran, ran home a few times and got- She to, ran away, like she escaped. She ran away, right, and escaped. And pleaded with her parents to take her back, but they didn't believe her. Well, because the facility literally tells you, they say, this is what's going to happen. She will likely escape. If she contacts you, this is what she's going to say. She's going to try to earn your trust and manipulate you into thinking she's being abused, manipulate you into thinking she is being mistreated. That will not be true. Right. And so they already had prepared them for this. And so sure enough, she shows up and they're like, Okay, well, we miss you too, but immediately they called and, you know, she went right back. (laughs) Mind you, when she went back, they beat her, like literally made an example out of her, like, you know, the like the language, like just the abuse, the sheer abuse is traumatic, honestly. And so that my my part of that is like, isn't there a part of you that will believe your child or know when I don't know? We've never had kids that did anything like that. So if they're lying to you and sneaking out at 15 years old, would you believe them? I mean, I don't know, especially if like a facility that's like world renowned and, you know, friends who have also sent their kids there and they're raving about it. Well, who's raving about it? The parents or the the parents, the kids? Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, I don't know. Anyways, the point yeah. is, is like I had no clue that that was her story. Right. Um, and she was, you know, she was also like raped as a like a teen, like yeah. hanging out with older guys that she knew she shouldn't have been. But she had this shame and she never said anything, which leads me to the next thing. Like I'm kind of obsessed with like, um, what do you call those? Uh, the podcasts I've been listening to, like true oh, crime podcasts, oh, right? Gracious. And so the true true crime podcasts that I've been listening to um, have been crazy about like murders and all of this different stuff that they're solving. But the one that I found recently is called Exposed, and it's like a cover up story of an OBGYN at Columbia University um, who was sexually assaulting his female patients for decades and i'm blown away by it right. like literally literally blown away it's disgusting and we've been kind of talking about it a lot lately like just you know women being sexually assaulted whether it be like from a family member as a small child or women being you know fearful of being raped or just like that we're constantly being violated and i feel like i'm being called in some way to like spearhead or champion some sort of like activism towards that because it really drives me crazy but this is called exposed and it's really really good yeah good in a good storytelling way <laughs> terrible in a storyline yeah. you know like it's awful i think you told me a story about that and i was like i could have gone my whole life without hearing that you did yeah yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. and i won't spoil it for it you guys but if my... you're a woman you should go listen to the podcast it's called exposed yeah there you have it well, I mean, it, it, and I was telling someone um, how I like look forward to your summaries because mm -hmm. you, you, you do a really great job. Of, oh, I'm like, so entertaining, <laughs> right? Yeah, you do a really good job of like giving me the, okay, here's what has right. happened. And so I'm just like. Well, sometimes you're like, and then what? Right. And I'm like, oh, I didn't get that far. Yeah, and and no, you get upset. You're yeah. like, well, don't well, come to me okay. until it's finished. Yeah, and so that, this is what's important because <laughs> she's been listening to these two crimes, right? And so, so then she'll like, Tell me about this crazy story of someone that was convicted for this crime. 26 they years in prison. In, they've been in yeah. prison and she's breaking down all the evidence. Mm -hmm. and, then, and then I'm like, okay, then what? She goes, oh, I have to pay for the rest if I want to live <laughs> in. And I was like, why did you bring this to me? Right. It's like, yeah. Because here's the thing because you know, cliffhangers and things that li like leave you. In, in, in limbo, mm -hmm. it's painful. Yeah. And you got to solve it. And you got to, like, I got to hear the, this is why when TV shows like end with a cliffhanger, like it's just, it's devastating. Mm -hmm. This is why we wait for shows for a long time yeah. so that we can binge it so we don't have to go through the pain of waiting to find out what's going to happen. And I would say that's a great segue for the fact that the other thing that we're obsessed with right now is Yellowstone. Yeah. So I know we have, late. I know, we're late I know but I know. we've okay. had now maybe three weeks of binging every night of right. episodes of Yellowstone. And so we're only on season four, just started season four. And Eddie legit wants to be a cowboy, you guys. Yeah. And, and I, got, I got like one brother out there. So I was like, okay. Yeah. yeah. There have been two black guys in the whole <laughs> entire thing. I'm like, literally, why are you watching this? I don't get it. But you love it. Hey, so that's there all is that a matters. long history of black cowboys yeah, out I there. I learned and that so, uh, the other day. Yeah. So I'm not out of, I'm not out of step on that. But yeah. uh, I got to tell you that, you know, for those who don't watch Yellowstone, um, give it a shot. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, but what was surprising to me is, one, the style, like, Kevin Costner is clean in that show. He's great. Yeah, I mean, his shirts are crisp and clean. Mm -hmm. His hats are crisp his and clean. His jacket collar's popped. It's popped up. Yeah. It's just like, yeah. And my dad's like, you know, he's wearing like a $600 hat. That's like a $1,000 jacket. Yeah, like, he's sparing no yeah. expense on his, mm -hmm. in his fashion. Um, but uh, if you haven't seen it, it, it it's a cross between um, succession. succession and... Um, what was the other the motorcycle one? Um, Sons of Anarchy. Sons of Anarchy kind of combined. Yeah. Uh, but the, in the Western. In Montana. <laughs> yeah. Right. And I was looking, I was like, there's only a million people in Montana. Right. Right. It's, this is like no population. Literally, it's still the wild, wild right. west and anything goes. Right. And I'm going like to 60 I'm gonna million Google people it. in California. Are the laws in Montana <laughs> actually non-existent? I think they're like, you know what? We don't have that many people. So let's just yeah. be relaxed. Just like laws. one. This is a tiny spoiler. Won't give anything away. But like at one point early on in the few like episodes, I was like, what the hell are we watching? A Western, right? 
And you were like, no, it's it's current day. I'm like, oh, OK, this is now. <laughs> and then, you know, one of the guys is driving down the street. It's in the middle of nowhere. It's Montana and sees a car on the side. Someone was in a car accident or something and walks over and the guy's all mangled. And he's like, put me out of my misery. Shoot me. No, just, no, no. It's just something similar to yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, and the yeah. guy's like, OK, well, I don't want to, but I will. And he shoots him. I'm like in the broad daylight, like. <laughs> Imagine I'm on the 10 freeway and I'm in a car crash and like I know I'm going to be paralyzed or something. Heaven forbid. Let me knock on some wood. And like if somebody stopped like an innocent bystander who doesn't know me and I'm like, I don't want to live the rest of my life paradise or paralyzed. Please shoot me and put me out of my misery. And they're like, okay, blast me in my head. They're going to jail. (laughs) That is murder in California. So I was like. Wait, I need to Google this. Is this real? You can just do this? Because then he proceeds to call the police and tell them. And they're like, oh, okay, good job. Yeah. I'm sorry, what? Yeah, thank you you for your service. So (laughs) wild, wild west, but there are definitely different laws in Montana. A hundred percent. And it's so beautiful. Yeah. I want to go, but then I don't because of stuff like that. Yeah. It's, it's in, uh, so for those, give it a shot. I think you would enjoy it. Yeah, um, we have uh, we, we started. We, we like it a lot. Yeah. So. so we're talking today about emotional intelligence, emotional professionalism. Why are we talking about that? Oh, yeah. So uh, I was listening to this clip of Simon Sinek. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you don't know, who Simon Sinek is he's an author. He wrote a, a, a pretty popular book called Start With Why, mm-hmm. um, which and, our students are reading this week. Right. So from a business standpoint, if you are a business owner, you haven't read that book, read the book. It's a really great book. Um, but he, he really got famous for his Ted talk, which Mm -hmm. led to the book. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, and so he was talking about, um, you know, generation Z and them being in the workforce. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and how they uh, operate in the workforce, very different from uh, previous generations. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I remember, cause we've been in, in leadership for a long time, over 20 years where the, you know, the, the big question, the big, you know, obstacle was millennials and mm-hmm. how to lead millennials and, and the things that, that, um, that they value, they value that. the things that are important to them. And, and then obviously you have this, this, this thought process for any generation that the, the next generation is, is lazier, is soft, you know, like all these different characteristics you may say that, you know, your generation has gone through more. Mm-hmm. And so that doesn't end. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I think that um, one of the things and we'll play the, a clip of the audio uh, on the the podcast. But, you know, it, it's interesting because it, it's something that we we've experienced and we see whether in, in our kids, our kids, friends in the workplace and employees and things of that nature where there's this you know kind of a lack in, in a sense. And, and I don't mean in, in a derogatory way, but um, but in a way that impacts the workplace workplace and that is this idea of professional um you know emo- professional emotional what was it emotional, emotional oh, professionalism. professionalism jesus i can't yeah. get it out well let's play it and okay. then see what everyone thinks millennials were difficult but this younger generation they're more activist which when it's you know when it's like climate change we love it but like when you're like the intern and you're sending an email to the ceo going i don't think that you like it's like you know let's there's other ways to do that. Um, uh, it starts with empathy. It starts with empathy. And we have to understand, it doesn't, it, for better or for worse, the changing nature of what work has become in our lives. If you go back a bunch of decades, it used to be that you got your sense of purpose from church, you got your sense of community from bowling league, you, got, you, had, you, you knew your neighbors, you barbecued with them on the weekends, and work, we were, I, I was loyal to work and work was loyal to me. At some point I'd get a gold watch aside. There's an, an entire generation that when I talk about the gold watch, they have no idea what I'm talking about, right? That's how much the world has changed. Um, and, and work was simply a place that I made a living to pay my bills. But there was, I still enjoyed my, you know, I, I, it was still loyalty. Over the course of time, Attendance, church attendance is down. Bowling clubs don't exist anymore. We don't talk to our neighbors. We become very insular. And what's happened is all of that pressure is now being put on the office. I now expect my company to be the place where I get my purpose, the place I get my friendships, the place I get my community, the place I get my social life. Now we've also added the place you have to agree with all of my politics. Right? That's a new one. 
And it's even now, especially during COVID, it's gone up even higher, especially for this young group, um, where you also have to be my, my therapists, my therapy. I'm gonna bring all of my problems to work. And where we, the idea of emotional professionalism seems to have gone away. You know, where you actually see people sitting in meetings like this, and you're like, what's going on? Having a bad day, right? <laughs> That's emotionally unprofessional, right? You can, I want you to bring your emotions to work. I want you to bring whole, your whole self to work. But, but for the same reason that we exercise emotional professionalism in other aspects of our lives, we also do it at work. So one of the struggles of this young generation is they are not equipped on how to deal with stress. They're just less equipped than previous generations for various reasons, including social media, internet, and, all the, and you know, parenting and all the rest of it. There's, there's many reasons for it, but they're really not good at dealing with stress. They're really bad at dealing with confrontation. They're so confrontation avoidant that they would rather ghost someone than break up with them after dating them for six months, right? That they would rather quit their job than ask their boss for a raise. And usually in spectacular fashion, like you don't value me, you don't pay me enough, you're like, if you just asked, I would have given you a raise, and we love you. But they quit because they're just afraid of the conversation. So they're very intimidated by confrontation, they're ill-equipped to deal with stress, there is an emotional immaturity, emotional unprofessionalism, right? And it's not a good thing or a bad thing, it just is. And so us having empathy and understanding that is important. And so it raises the question, how are they dealing with their stress? Not well. And so there's a new phenomenon that I'm seeing happening in a lot of offices where especially young people are finding the one or two empathetic, the empaths on the team, and they're going to them with all of their problems. And it's not the traditional, I hate my boss, I hate my job. Venting about work is fine, I have no issue with that. But it's, I hate my mom, I don't know what I wanna do with my life, when am I gonna leave my house, what I, you know, I, um, my boyfriend's not working out, my girlfriend's not working out. I, I, like Every problem in my life on this one or two people at work, and we've had it happen on our team. We had three people quit, and I got a little team. I got three people who quit because they said they were burnt out, and I was like, I know how much work you do. What do you mean you're burnt out? So I'm like, do you have another job on the side? <laughs> how can you be burnt out? You know? What I discovered is they were the impasse on the team and everybody was calling them to unload. They were burnt out because they were taking on everybody's stress and they were exhausted. They couldn't take it anymore and they just quit. And when I talked about this publicly, I had a 23-year-old come up to me in one of the companies and said, I do that. And so we have to recognize they are struggling in a changing, chaotic, crazy world right now where there's so much uncertainty in this world. Like, like the world is always uncertain, but my God, it's war and the country's at its, each other's throat and there's challenge and the global warming and it's just insane, these poor kids. And they have no outlet. They don't know how to deal with it. So my, my big challenge, big, uh, uh, it's a challenge for all of us, is how do we hold space for them? And the problem is, is they don't even recognize when we're doing the right thing for them. That's the hardest part. A lot of anger, um, but it's, it's gonna, it, the, the problem is it's gonna take a bit. Like we're in a period of extreme flux and it's, it's not gonna settle for a little bit. We're, it's gonna be very bumpy, a very bumpy road for the next few years. There's no right answer. Okay, so uh, a couple of things. Like we listened to this, and the first thing that I thought of is all of our students who are business owners that say, there's no good employees right now. None of these younger kids wanna work. I immediately get triggered for a couple of reasons. Number one, every generation that's older thinks that their generation is better than the younger generation. We worked right. harder, we are smarter, we're more resilient, whatever. And there are certain things that I think each generation, you know, kind of get this like blanket stereotype put over them. Um, and some of them are rightfully so, right? Like, let's say uh, Gen X, which is us, right? Gen X, we are considered like latchkey kids. We're generally more independent. We generally helped with a lot of things from raising our siblings and walking home and uh, doing chores around the house. Why? Because in the 80s when we were growing up, that was the first generation where our moms were actually in the workforce. 
And so that stuff makes sense that we would now be given all of this extra responsibility. And so when we got older, we didn't care so much about unions. We wanted to be recognized for the work that we did. So we really believe in meritocracy, not uh, seniority, right? Okay, so then the generation after us, which was the millennials, in our generation, in our lifetime, that's the generation I thought got beat up the most because, you know, of the age that we were at, we were able to engage in those conversations. But I remember specifically when we were in leadership, you know, with we were managing millennials and I felt like we were connected in age, like enough to understand why they were doing the things that they were doing, but they got a really bad rap for being like a lazy generation and for being entitled and all of this stuff. And I'm like, isn't it interesting how the group that was the biggest complainers about millennials was the boomers and they were actually their parents. Mm-hmm. That's mind blowing to me, right? Well, we, we and that's the thing we were talking about because we were talking about the fact that you know, you can group a large group of individuals together and you call them Gen Z and the characteristics that like Simon Sinek uh, described in the video or in the audio um are very much what you see, mm-hmm. right? There is very much this this thought process that you know I can I can email the CEO. I have a voice. If I'm having a bad day, I don't have to find a way to at least present to myself, it, yeah. right? Present to myself where I can you know create an environment or be a part of an environment that's positive. And so I think that there is something to be said about the fact that when we were talking about this, like the parents do so much. But this idea of you're a product of your environment is a real thing mm-hmm. because I think social media makes their environment um, a, a lot more um, like connected. Yeah. Right? And so well, you where I was going with that really quick yeah. was and, and where that conversation came from was like when the boomers were complaining about the millennials, I was like, y'all are their parents like you right. made them this way. When I hear people complaining about Gen Z, I'm like, we are their parents. And so like I have to check some of my friends like we made this generation the way that they are. And then that sparked a conversation with you and I. Well, parenting can only go so far. Right. And then, you know, the influence, like external influence from your peers at school, from your teachers, from social media. And I was like, hands down, this generation, Gen Z, is the most like influenced and like clouded generation ever in history because so many things are vying for their attention. Right. And so I think that I have more understanding of some of the things that millennials or, or Gen Z kids are faced with because they are going up against all of these distractions that quite frankly, you and I don't know what it's like to be growing up as teenagers, going through, going through puberty and having constant comparison just at our fingertips. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's my important tip for everyone that starts complaining about the younger generation. You literally don't know what it's like to walk in their footsteps because you were raised in a different time. And so just like you want to complain if you're a boomer, like back in my day, I used to walk, you know, through the snow to school with no shoes. Okay, well, back in your day, you didn't have the constant comparison of social media. You also didn't have the internet. You didn't have cyberbullying. You didn't have all of these things. And so I think we have to just take that into consideration as we even prepare to discuss what's wrong with the different generations. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, it makes sense. So then this led us to this whole long discussion with you and I about um, emotional professionalism, which I do think is lacking in the current workforce. And emotional professionalism is... Uh, well, I mean, maybe you have a full definition that you want to share. To me, it's like, okay, we would say, coming from Gen X, we would say, well, it's not very professional to come to work and bring all of your problems and cry at work. Like, you got to be able to separate it. And what Gen Z would say to us is, yeah, you guys are used to shoving your emotions down your throat (laughs) and nobody cared about how you felt. And now we're telling you that our feelings matter. And that there is truth to that. We were told to suck it up. Right. Because the generation that raised us came from a generation that was raised by people that thought children should be seen and not heard. And so historically, it's never been okay to really discuss your feelings, especially if you're like a teenager or a kid. 
And so now I think that that's dying off. Well, I think that there is an element of like our parents saying, suck it up. Mm -hmm. But there's also an element of we didn't give a lot of time or space to discuss like how you felt. And you constantly had to move on. You mean we didn't have it? No, we just didn't have the conversation. Right. Right. We didn't have the, 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 the conversation, which means we didn't have the language, which means like there wasn't even the space to even have that. Like yeah. now we have forums and, and, and conversations through social media and we have all these outlets to, to create space to have these conversations. The, the problem that I see with that, and this is not just for Gen Z, this is, impacts everyone is that it's usually not solution-based. It's usually to identify and acknowledge, and then that's it, right? And so I think that's the thing that, I think that when you look at your, like Gen, as Gen Xers, as we look at our childhood, we were kind of, kind of born and raised in the process of fix it. Fix right? it and figure it out. Fix it and figure Nobody it out. Nobody cares about your so crying if tears. you're sad, <laughs> Fix your sadness, yeah. right? If you're if you're upset, fix your up. You know, and, and so some people took it, you know, in one way, and, and and they expressed themselves through violence or whatever the case may be. And some people just got over it, right? And you had to move forward. We also had a lot of more physical activity. Like I played outside, mm-hmm. right? And so I think that it, when you think about dealing with all the things in the world, when you have an outlet of of physicality of 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 sport of whatever it may be. It helps dissolve some of those things, and you and it helps take your mind off it, almost as if a, a sense of therapy or meditation, which I think leads to what I, my point is leads to a level of toughness that I think every generation has to build. But I think this generation for Gen Gen Z is so important that they work on that. Right? I think it's the parents' fault, though. But I I think that it's it's not, and the reason why I say it's not is because I do think in some occasions, in a lot of occasions. It is the parents' fault. Mm-hmm. But I think there's also a, a fact that you get these people who have were raised right, right morals, and you know, they, they had the right lessons to help them be better, but their environment also played a huge part in raising them. Mm-hmm. And it's so influential when you see your friends do things or say things or you know, dwell on things and it and it's and it gathers attention, right? Because yeah. everyone wants to be heard. And if I find that only people who get hurt are people who are talking about being depressed or, or being having anxiety, then why? If I feel those emotions, then I'm gonna start talking about mm-hmm. it. But the problem is, is they don't talk about it from a standpoint of solution based or pro, being proactive and priming yourself so that mm-hmm. you don't experience those things in, in true depth. But that's the thing I think that you know when you talk about you know uh, this professional uh, professionalism from an emotional standpoint. Being able to show up, even when you have a tough day, appropriately for the workplace. Mm-hmm. And that's not about like, you know, pushing your emotions down, but it's understanding that everyone contributes to this environment for their energy. And you have to be responsible for the energy you're bringing to the environment. And you have to make sure that if you're in an environment where, hey, it's important that everyone is inspired and everyone has energized, then you have to find ways to participate in that. Um, to be a good teammate. Yeah, I agree with everything you're saying. When I say that I think it's the parents' fault, what I mean is we had a whole long discussion about the fact that like we walked home from school. Like I had to walk to the babysitter at eight years old and pick up my little sister and take her home and start a pot of rice and start dinner. Like we had more responsibility. And I think that as parents, as Gen Gen X parents, we wanted to give our kids a better life than we had. And we stripped them from a lot of those responsibilities. Why? Because I don't think that a kid should be raising the other kids that I have. I just didn't enjoy that as a kid. So I didn't want my kids to do that. There were some people that took it a little too far, though, right? Like I remember a couple of times like asking my kids to walk home from school and they were like, oh, it's not safe. It's not safe. Like we live three blocks away from school. What do you mean? And I remember specifically like one time Uh, one of the moms, I told them to walk home and one of the moms swooped up on the side of them and said, get in the car. Like I I, I told your mom if she ever needed help, I would take her. And she literally called me in front of my kids and was like, Janelle, I will pick up your kids if you can't make it. Like it's not safe for them to walk home. And I just remember thinking, this is bullshit. (laughs) Like I know she meant really well. Right. And I was so appreciative of it. But 
are kids not feeling comfortable to walk home, you know, three or five blocks from school? That's a problem. And so I think that if we don't, if we didn't set them up to face challenging things that required them to exercise emotional intelligence when they were kids or teenagers, then we cannot expect them to have emotional professionalism in the workplace. They literally haven't learned that. And so in the era of helicopter parents who think that the world's a bad place and they want to do all this stuff for their kids, you know, I think we're doing a terrible disservice to them by not teaching them how to properly go through different emotions. Like I had a very deep conversation one time with someone when the kids were uh, like going into their teenage years and telling them like, our kids need to go through a certain amount of heartbreak. Like they mm-hmm. have to have, right. whether it's relationships, whether it's auditioning for a, a part in a school play and not getting it, whether it's getting bad grades, but letting them own it without you going down to the school to talk to the parent or to the teacher. Our kids have to experience challenges and figure out with your help how to overcome them from an emotional standpoint and from like a self-advocacy standpoint. And if we robbed them of all of those opportunities, then absolutely not. They're not going to be capable of having or exercising good emotional professionalism in the workplace. I agree. And I think that going through hard things um, allow you to build a, like a repertoire of skills to overcome stress and handle it in a way that's productive. And I think that that's the thing that people miss. Cause I think that when you tell people, Hey, I want you to be emotional, perfect. I don't know why I can't say this, uh, emotionally professional. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, it, people think people can take that as you want me to leave my emotions at the door. Right. And we have been told that in, in, in professional settings, leave your emotions at the door. We, we all, we, when you get to work, it's time to work. Well, here's another right? saying, but there's a time and a place for that. Right. <laughs> there's a time and a place for that. But I think that the, that what you're saying is, is like, you have to have mental strategies to handle stress so that when you show up to work, you can show up your best, yeah. right? And I think that there, oftentimes what you'll see is that people, will, one, they won't show up. Mm-hmm. They'll just say, hey, I need to take, like, I could not imagine, you know, 15, 10 years ago saying, hey, I'm going to take a mental health day, mm-hmm. right? I just could not imagine it. And I'm not saying it doesn't need to exist, but I do think that We've worked really, really hard to find ways to overcome mental challenges so that we can be mentally healthy. And I think that that has created a certain level of toughness. And I tell the kids all the time, I said, the competition for, the, you know, for this next generation, it won't be in who's the most talented. Mm-hmm. It won't be in the most skilled. Who's it, the most educated. It, it won't be the most educated. Mm-hmm. It's going to be who's the toughest. Right. right. Who has the endurance to show up every single day, even when... Life feels like shit, and mm-hmm. you, but you still can show up your very best. Yeah. That's going to be the difference maker, right? Yep. Um, and so I think that th- this is an interesting topic, and it's an interesting thing to, to really think about for those that are not just Gen Z, but you know, for those who are Gen X and, and even boomers. Like, how are you handling certain things? Um, and are you able to stay emotionally professional? Yeah. And you know, in the previous episode, we talked about things that you should be teaching your kids. And there are five things that I kind of just want to go through really quick that I think should be on that list. Some of them we already discussed, but like helping with um, creating an environment for your kids to be able to be good people at having and exercising good emotional professionalism at work. There's a couple of things. So number one, how often are you talking about or teaching your kids how to understand their emotions? Mm. What do you do with your emotions? Like, cause back in the day, it'd be like, don't be a crybaby. <laughs> I mean, literally that's what we were told. Right? right. And now you've got all these grown men in their forties that are like, you know, they're trying to debunk the stigma that men shouldn't have emotions. Right? right. So there's this fine line of like the pendulum going from one end all the way to the other end. And I agree. Like, I don't think that telling your kid like, Hey, uh, you shouldn't be crying. Like, don't be a little crybaby. If right. they're a boy, especially, that's not helpful. So teaching your kids how to understand their emotions. Another is like teaching them what self-awareness is. Yeah. Like, I remember an example that I used on one of our daughters who shall remain anonymous. She was very moody and she'd come home just in a bad mood all the time. And I would literally tell her, right now, you need to be thinking, or not right now, I would say, Pretend that our family has a reality show 
and you have viewers from all over the world that are watching your performance because that's what it is. It's it's a reality show, so you're not really performing. But are is the audience going to be cheering for you or are they going to be like, I hate that character. She's always freaking like bitchy or moody or something like you have to look at your life like from a contribution standpoint. If other people were watching, this is how you create self-awareness. If other people were watching, if you were observing your behavior, would you be proud about this? Right. And that was a conversation we had regularly because I was trying to get her to understand that self-awareness and emotional regulation is important. And we need to talk about that. Do you always need to cry? Do you always need to pout? Is this warranted? Would an audience of viewers say she has every right to be sad about that? What is it? If, it, if it's something that big, let's talk about it, right? right? And so I tried to use that analogy with her to teach her those things. I don't know that it worked, but you know that was the strategy that I tried to use with her. Yeah, and I think that that's a, that the self-awareness thing is, I think people have self-awareness um, you know, because of the fact that we are in this introspective environment where people are deeply connected to how they feel. And I think that they may confuse that. And I'm, I'm going to correct myself. I think that they confuse that as self-awareness. Mm -hmm. That is more about understanding your emotions, mm -hmm. right? Self-awareness is understanding how you impact other people in your environment, mm -hmm. right? And so that to me is the thing that may be missing is right. because not either you're not thinking about how you how you come across other people and how you affect other people, um, but you're also not necessarily thinking about the impact it has on you know on the, your household, on, the on household, your family members, on the work that you're trying yeah. to do. Like all those things play a huge part, and so understanding all that deeply increases your self awareness, and it also gives you perspective of like okay. I know I'm not feeling my best, but I don't want to impact these things. See, but I think that emotional regulation, when you talk about it, like you just said, and it was kind of what we were talking about with our daughter, I would tell her when you come home, you bring the worst version of yourself home. Like, I highly doubt that you're like this around your friends. Why do you give the people that love you the most the worst side of you? That's like understanding good self-awareness and like emotional regulation and I think it was triggering for me because I grew up with a parent that didn't have any, she didn't have an ounce of self-regulation or emotional regulation. She didn't care if she came home and the whole house was like afraid or walking on eggshells or like, oh my God, she had a bad day. Like that was difficult as a kid to watch a parent do. And so I wanted to teach my kid how to not impact the entire household because it just doesn't feel good. What I'm trying to say is the pendulum swinging to the other side, though, people would be like, well, it's not my responsibility to regulate how you're viewing me if I had a bad day. And I'd say, well, yeah, it kind of is to the people that you love, to the people that you work with. Remember, this is emotional professionalism. Right. This is emotional regulation. We're not saying that your emotions don't count. We're just saying like you have to be accountable for how your emotions impact other people. 100%. That's all we're saying. Yeah. So moving on to the next thing I think you should be teaching your kids um, to help them with this emotional professionalism is effective communication. So that's a few things. That's active listening. That's assertiveness. And that's nonverbal communication. I remember when I was a kid, um, you know, my every adult that I knew was like, you look somebody in the eye when they're speaking to you. And I've seen many kids these days, just like their parents are talking to them and they're looking off. I'm like, oh my God, eye contact. That's right. important. Like your nonverbal communication is sending the message to me that you don't give a fuck about what we're talking well, can about. Can I just tell right? you, like I, I, the times I interact with other people's kids mm -hmm. that are, I would say, 18, 19 years old and the lack of assertiveness, like the, uh, the lack of like, speaking up to be heard oh hard right turn no it's not a hard right turn okay i'm just saying that you said effective communication mm -hmm. like those are things that are well i was talking about nonverbal communication like your body language matters oh yeah and then the other thing i agree with you is you know assertiveness and like being able to stand up for yourself and advocate and yeah or to speak clearly right. about what you want mm -hmm. and and to like acknowledge other people verbally or nonverbally. i think are some important things but i don't want to make this like this is about just what you do with your kids 
there are people right now listening to this that, that we re- need to be reparenting. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah. And reparenting. And so mm-hmm. the reparenting part of like identifying, like I have a tough time with emotional intelligence. Yeah. I have a tough time when I am not feeling my best to still go to work or in, in my business in a way that is appropriate for the business mm-hmm. uh, place. I mean, it's no different than if you were angry and you were around young kids, you would regulate yourself so that if you are you have the appropriate appropriate approach to young kids yeah. because you wouldn't be storming angry cussing and stuff like that if your two year old nephew or your four year old daughter came in you regulate those yeah. things right and so that's no different than when you're in the workplace right right I, I do want to circle back to assertiveness for a second because the podcast that I mentioned earlier what was it called um, exposed yeah exposed wait was that the name of it. I can't remember. Well, the, the OBGYN, yeah, okay, um, several of the women who were violated during a gynecological exam, mm-hmm. the amount of them that said, I didn't feel comfortable telling him to stop or I was like blown away and I had to put my, the way I was raised, I had to put it aside because immediately I thought of two girlfriends who were not raised to be assertive. My mom would have said, she would have told me, you fly off that table and you immediately tell him, what the fuck are you doing? Don't ever touch me like that. Right. Right. We're talking about a doctor violating you and you know that you're being violated. Right. So many women were like, I froze. I lost my words. I didn't know what to say. And I just, I couldn't overcome it. Right. And then the shame of not wanting to speak up or not knowing who, who they could talk to or would they be believed, right? And that's something that I think, especially for young women, like teaching your kids or reparenting yourself to understand that there is a time and a place for assertiveness. Yeah. And when you need to protect your body, that's when assertiveness needs to kick in. Yeah, I think we both were taught this you speak up not just speak up but if someone hits you hit them back oh yeah right wrong or right it teaches you to 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 advocate for yourself to fight back yeah right and i think that um part of that like mentality is is like standing up for yourself on a daily and day out basis and the question is though (laughs) is that just a hood lesson like because my mom literally says if she used to tell me If someone hits you and you don't hit them back, you're going to be grounded. Right. Someone hits you (laughs) and you hit them and you get like, you know, expelled or suspended. I'll take you and we'll celebrate. And I did tell my kids the exact same thing. Right. If someone hits you and you don't defend yourself, you're going to be grounded. Right. If they hit you and the principal calls me and they kick you out or whatever, suspend you for a couple of days, we're going to celebrate. Right. I'm going to take you for ice cream. We're going to go to your favorite restaurant because you need to know how to defend yourself. And you do not let other people violate you, period. Yeah. And so I think that that's a lesson that I, I don't know. I don't know. What do you guys think? I know people are going to be like, that's terrible. Like violence doesn't solve anything. No, but teaching your kids at a young age how to have dominion over their own body and to be assertive around protecting their own bodies. I think we need to teach our kids that. Well, I think it's also like, you know, the rise of when we talk about Gen Z and what they deal with, part of it is is like cyberbullying, right? Well, I think bullying has always been around since the beginning of time. But I do think that some people were instilled in them, like the bully hits you, you may have to take a, a beating that day, but you hit the bully back, mm-hmm. right? And I think that there's something to be said with the, the lack of fighting back and allowing bullies to continue to, to bully instead of saying, you know what, I'm going to stand up for myself. And that may not necessarily mean violence, but I'm going to say, say something. I'm not going to be the person that sits back and allows this person to run up all over me. And I think that that fight is a level of toughness that I think is so important that you can exhibit within yourself as well as with the external world. Yeah, agree. I have three more to get through. So let's kind of like make these quicker because I think we could go on and on about all this. We get so worked up about this stuff because it, it just it impacts how we interact with other humans in the workplace, you know, like with your friends, how you have conversations and and it, it needs to be talked about. So the next one is building positive relationships. Um, that could be in the form of networking. That could be collaboration. That could be conflict resolution. A couple of quick things. So networking is 
you know, the kids saw me do that when I was building a business. Yeah. Like we got to go to this, you know, community thing and we're going to talk to people and represent the business and get to know people. And like, I remember them getting excited to meet the mayor and like, that is a form of networking, yeah. right? Social skills. Um, the next one, collaboration. Collaboration is as simple as a group project. And I'm just going to tell you, who are these people who actually um, do well in the group projects? Because every meme you seem is like, you know, Everyone always feels like they do all the work in the group project. So who are the people that are not doing the group project? Because I know more of them than I know <laughs> of people that step up for the group project. So that is something that if your kid has a group project or you as an adult have a group project, like, do you know how to, um, you know, have conflict resolution conversations? Like, do you know how to say, hey, like, I want to be really respectful about this, but I don't feel like we're contributing at the same pace. Right. Like, or are you teaching your kids to uh, like practice avoidance? Mm -hmm. Cause that's a big thing when it comes to communication and building positive re um, relationships. The next one's managing stress. I know you could go on and on about this cause we had yep. tried to share some strategies with our kids before they went away to college. Right. But time management, big one. I think we're all struggling with time management right now in a day of distractions. Like if you're a parent or even an adult without kids, what is your strategy for managing your time in a proper way? Um, and then like work, work life balance could be managing stress, but what do you have to say about managing stress? Well, I think that, um, when we think about emotional professionalism, uh, it is th the center of that is managing stress. It is understanding that stress is designed uh, within the human body to be something that's helpful, not hurtful. And I think that it is to tell you that something's not right, mm -hmm. to tell you that something's wrong so that you make the proper adjustments to, to fix it. And I think that all the things that happen during stress, right? Like, you know, you, your eye, you become more alert, your heart rate races, is all the things that in nature would save your life. Mm -hmm. But when we're in a situation where we're not as mobile, we don't do a lot of physical things, right? Uh, we're in this, this social environment. Stress is not designed for you just to talk about. Yeah. It's for you to relieve through physical activity. And so I think that- so you gotta do something You gotta do it. something, right? You, you have to relieve it, you have to dissolve it, and then you have to solve it, right? And then you have to say, okay, what is causing this stress in my life? And let me get to the, the root cause of it. And then I can start to create a, a system or a proactive approach to make sure I'm not impacted the way that, that it's impacting me today. But until people do that, then stress will always be debilitating to people. And so the reason why I know this to be true is because everybody experiences things in life. Everybody experiences letdowns, whatever, all the things that you can think about that can lead to stress. Mm -hmm. But not everyone is impacted in the same way. Yeah. So that means that it's not the stress. It's not this e event. It's you. Yeah. Right. And so you just have to figure the thing out. Uh, and I think that that to me is, is a big part of, um, you know, finding out who you are, finding out what your strategy is, and then finding a way to be successful in any type of environment. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's the heart of it. And lastly, I think to help people with like the emotional professionalism is just embracing a growth mindset. So like we didn't grow up with parents that were like constantly preaching about continuous learning or continuing their education, whether it be from a book that they loved or something that they learned at work from a coworker or, um, you know, their ability to even embrace feedback at work from like a boss, like things that challenge you in a healthy way. Yeah. Like that is a part of growth. Right. Yeah. And so like, talking to your kids about the fact that maybe you got a review from your boss and it wasn't what you were expecting, but here's how I'm processing the feedback. And here's what I'm going to do to make sure that I go back and I get a better rating next time. That stuff's important. That's how you teach a kid the concept of emotional professionalism. That's right. literally what it is, right? Accepting feedback. And then somewhere throughout all that, like how are you teaching your kid or reparenting yourself to develop more resilience? Yeah. Because that's really like that's really the underlining tone of if you are lacking emotional professionalism, professionalism somewhere in there, it's just you're being so resistant to um, just anything that is not going your way, some form of disappointment, like there's a lack of resilience. Yeah. And I think that the, the reason why I love 
to read, and I know that it's the same for you, and that's, I know that's what we started the podcast with, is because books are just filled with solutions. Mm-hmm. They're filled with ideas, language that help you solve for things that are in your life. And I think that when you surround yourself with those tools, then it's just going to lead to a better life, yeah. right? And I think that if you can you know, use them, then you don't even have to worry about emotional professionalism because you, you, have, you find you a state every day yeah. that keeps you in a place of bliss and joy and no matter what. And I think the one thing that I'd say we both do really well as a family we've done is if we're watching the Kardashians, if we're watching Yellowstone, if I'm listening to you, like I listen to the Paris Hilton uh, memoir, immediately we go to our kids and we're like, what would you do in this situation? Like we had a long conversation with Jasmine about what happened to Paris Hilton. You know, your your uh, parents send you off. She's like, I couldn't forgive you guys. <laughs> and I go, well, here's the thing. Why not? Right. If we genuinely, you know us, you know we love you and you know that it would be from a place of love, why couldn't you forgive us? Like we obviously were at our wits end and we didn't know what to do. So out of desperation, we she goes, it would take me a long time to forgive you. But that is a conversation that had we not had, she would have just walked around with the belief of, oh, don't forgive your parents. I wouldn't forgive my parents. And so because we had a conversation, it helps to open the pathways to yeah. trying on different solutions and different ways of thinking, which I think breed you know, emotional professionalism, emotional intelligence. Yeah. So whatever you're seeing um, or going through, I think you need to just have those conversations with your kids. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So I hope this was helpful. And have uh, a conversation with yourself, not just your yeah. kids. I mean, I know we're talking about Gen Z, but some of you, most of the Gen Zs that listen to this uh, podcast are already full-fledged adults, right? Yeah. So, uh, so what is, are you doing to reparent yourself? Right? And I think that that's the big thing. You got that from the, uh, like Carrie Washington, right? Mm-hmm. Well, no, yeah, uh huh. She well, you derive that yeah. from that. Like she took like time to say, "Hey, I had to reparent myself," right. and I think that that is not widely used. Yeah. Uh, so I think you know, people listen to this. Yeah. So let, let this us be a know to reparent. Yeah. Yourself. So leave us a review. Send us a DM. Uh, if it's been a long time since you've reviewed the podcast, please take a couple of minutes to let us know what nuggets you're pulling out of this and what you plan on putting into practice so that way we could all be better humans and get along well in the workplace and also in the world. Awesome. Yeah. Take care, you guys. Happy holidays. We'll see you in the next episode. Push through. Thank you for listening to the Push Podcast. Hey, we want to hear from you. So if you have a question or there's a particular topic that you want us to tackle and you want us to help you push through, you got to do something for us. You got to go to Apple Podcasts and you got to leave a rating and a review. And in that review, go ahead and leave that question with your Instagram handle so that we can shout you out when we actually answer the question. And we'll talk about that on the podcast and make sure that, hey, this particular podcast is made for you. So leave a rating, leave a review. You leave your handle and until next time push through